following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. All right, clap your hands real big. Yes, sir. I'll tell you what I wanted to do tonight when I walked in this church. I want to get on this stage and sing. Man, this, this singing got me going tonight. I, I, I hadn't done what I did tonight in a long time. I hopped across the front of this church. Lord Jesus, I felt the Lord in my soul tonight. What a joy to walk into that. David, David talked about that. He said, it'll, it'll, make you, it'll, it'll put a spring in your step. This, the joy of the Lord, is. there's something about it. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And I love the fact that we have the joy of the Lord in this house. And it's an honor, it's an honor to be with you on Wednesday night. I, uh, I don't want to talk about myself too much. I'm doing better. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I really am. I'm getting better. Uh, have a good doctor here. Uh, Dr. Al is not a medical doctor. He's a doctor of science, but he calls me and texts me all the time and tells me I need to rest. And when a doctor tells you to rest, I rest. I do. And, I, and I've been getting rest and getting up in the morning early, coming to prayer. I love prayer. I love praying with you folks. I love drinking coffee with you. I love to talk to you. I love people. I got this problem. I've been vaccinated with a love for people. And it just, it just, it won't go away. And I thank you for being in the house of God on Wednesday night. And I know that you got kids in school and we don't hold late on Wednesday night. So I'm the only thing keeping you from bed right now. And I promise I won't be long. But what a joy. Our prayer, early morning prayer has been so so beautiful, and tomorrow is day number five, and we're going to be here at six o'clock, and we're going to have coffee for you. And on Saturday, we'll probably have some uh, breakfast tacos. We ought to have two or 250 people on Saturday here about nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and come on, come on, we'll have you a breakfast taco or something. I'll get brother, brother and sister Vasquez to bring some tacos in maybe on Saturday, and we'll have some tacos. Why don't you stand to your feet? You're awesome people. Uh, Patty sends her love. She's my sweetheart, and she sends her love, and she's here tonight, and I love to talk about my sweet wife. What a joy to have a wife like her when I've been going through sickness like I have. Today's my fourth week of this thing called shingles, and uh, somebody said my wife sent me to the store for Pringles, and I brought home shingles. Because <laughs> I, <laughs> I couldn't spell. I have you know I can spell. I know the difference in a Pringle and a shingle. Amen. And if you've been out of town, we welcome you home. We thank you for being back in the house of the Lord. And uh, what a joy. I, I'd like to just ask this now. I'm going to put my, my glasses on before you sit down. If this is your first Wednesday night to ever be in, would you raise your hand? First Wednesday night here. Just raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. Keep it up. Keep it up. This is beautiful. All right, put your hand down. All right. How many has been here less than a year? Would you raise your hand? You've been in this church. Look here. Look at Oh, my Lord. Put your hands down. How many have been here less than six months? Good night. Okay, keep your hands up. You that are around them, hug them right quick and give them a high five and say, thank you for being in church with us tonight. What a joy. Isn't this neat? I love the fact that this church is not, don't take this wrong, this church is not getting old. This church is still vibrant. It's alive. And people are finding us and they're loving us and they're falling in love with the Jesus that we preach around here. I'm going I'm to go into a three-part series tonight that I hope you enjoy. 
I do this about every five years. About every five years, this is something that I just want to teach. I desire to teach it. I love to teach it. And I want to talk about tonight God on display. And we're going to, we're going to talk the next three weeks about God on display. And uh, tonight, we're going to talk about this question. Is God enough in your life? Is God enough? That's a good question, isn't it? Is God enough? Is He enough? Or do you need substitutes? Do you need additives? Do you need something with the oil of the Spirit? Do you need something else? I believe with all my heart that God is enough. He's just enough. He's enough. So with that, I'm going to ask you to tell somebody beside you, I'm going to help the pastor and then I want you to be seated and we're going to talk a little bit to you in the name of the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. Pringles or shingles, Lord Jesus. I read about a man this several years ago because I have, I've talked about him before named Alan Schmidt of White House Station, New Jersey. And he was on a quest, a quest that had taken him to all 50 states of the Union. He was a member of what they call the Extra Miler Club, 300 members, and each share a common goal. They not only visit every state in the U.S., but every county as well. There are 3,044 counties in the United States of America. And only 14 members have achieved the goal of seeing every county. These extra milers have a motto. And this is their motto. The shortest distance between two points is no fun. (laughs) Some engage in activity on their trips, like golfing and scuba diving and marathon running. They wouldn't have me there. Some are seekers. They want to find the nation's smallest post office. They will desire to visit ballparks of every major league team in America. Others are collectors. They collect photos of highway signs that correspond with the state's numbered entrance into the Union. For example, since Delaware was the first state entered into the Union, they look for a highway or a route number one in Delaware and so forth. But some are like Alan Smith. He had a desire to taste Heath Bar blizzards from a Dairy Queen in every state in the Union. I've eaten my share of blizzards. It's second in line to Bluebell in my life. And having eaten blizzard bars in 49 states, he finally ate the 50th blizzard in Alaska a few years back. Wow. Why? Because there's just this inexplicable longing within man. There's a longing. There's a hunger to satisfy. There's a thirst to quench. There's an itch to scratch. There's a longing, a longing for something more. Everybody say more. Now, my text tonight is a little bit unorthodox. It might seem slightly unusual and even irreverent. I apologize if it seems so. It just seems to say it better than the King James folks do. It's from a translation called The Message. And in the Bible, in modern language, the author Eugene Peterson is no ordinary reader. He's a pastor, a professor of Greek and Hebrew. And who grew frustrated with people who didn't grasp the powerful life-changing truth that comes in Scripture, especially through the King James. So he undertook a 20-year project and put the Bible into contemporary language, English. And the familiar sacred phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not roam, is rendered as the following in Peterson's Bible. Psalms 23 and 1 in the message says, God my shepherd, exclamation point, I don't need a thing. Let's say it. God, God, my shepherd, shepherd, exclamation point, point, 
I don't need a thing. So my question tonight to this congregation, is God really enough? Is God enough? There's a cemetery in Houston, Texas called Glenwood. And you walk through this, it's a walk through history. Great names decorate tombstones there. Names that turned a muddy bayou into a space city USA. And here the final resting place of America's first billionaire. His name was Howard Hughes. Born in Houston. He set his goals early in life. One of his goals was to be the world's best golfer. Isn't that all of our goals that play golf? We want to be the world's best. I've tried. I realize that I came close, but I'll never get there, so I quit. To be the best pilot was another one of his goals. To be the best movie producer was another one of his goals. And if his life was determined by whether he reached each of these goals, then he died a failure. Hughes was a codeine addict. Later in life, he was obsessed with Kleenex boxes. He had a paranoia of germs. And when his health broke, a jet was dispatched to the famed Texas Medical Center in his hometown, and it didn't make it in time. He died a frail, filthy man with a wispy beard that hung to his waist, and his hair reached the middle of his back, and his fingernails were two inches long, and his toenails you didn't want to see. Golf courses weren't enough. Power and fame weren't enough. Hollywood wasn't enough. A billion dollars was not enough. None of this, hear me, can ever take the place of God in your life. Come on, clap your hands. Let me talk to you. See, there's a longing. There's a longing within each of us. God put it there. It wasn't put there by money. It wasn't put there by fame. It wasn't put there by stardom. It was found in Adam and Eve. Question, what took them to the forbidden fruit? It was a longing. Israel turned from angel food back to melons and leeks and onions and garlics of Egypt because it was a longing. David cried out when surrounded by an enemy, Oh, that I had watered drink from the well of my childhood, Bethlehem. It was a thirst within a thirst. A thirst for days gone by. It was just a longing. It seems that man is always born dissatisfied. We reach, we grasp, we strive. We're never, never satisfied. We come into this life clutching. We come into this life accumulating we come into this life gathering, an inward emptiness shouts, I have not, I must have. You all that's raised kids know that one cookie's never enough for a two-year-old. You know that. They want more. They'll eat your Oreos till there's nothing left in the package. A four-year-old cannot be tossed just once in the air. You get in the pool in the backyard at your kid's house, and those kids will jump to you one more time, Bo Daddy, one more time, one more time, I want more. A finished product, stop and admire it, and a voice shouts more. Society calls it living large. We want to be the most with the mostest. That's a word I just made up. <laughs> finest homes, finest automobiles, finest clothes, and the finest view. Hunger and thirst for more and more, yet we seem to enjoy these acquisitions less and less. I call it the Esau syndrome. It's profane. It's profane to discard the priceless and reach for the valueless. It's empty to cling to brass while gold is in our midst. And it's vain to clutch temporal while ignoring the eternal. Am I preaching a little bit to you tonight? Money will buy a bed, but it will not buy sleep. Money will buy books, but not brains. Money will buy food, but not an appetite. 
Money will buy finery, but not beauty. Money will buy a house, but not a home. Money will buy medicine, but not health. Money will buy luxuries, but not culture. Money will buy amusement, but not, but not happiness. It'll buy religion, but not salvation. It'll buy a passport to everywhere but heaven. And I'm telling you, we need God in our lives. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's very rare that I get this deep with you on a Wednesday night, but I feel the first of the year I've got to preach God like I haven't preached. I need to tell you that God is our answer. There's nobody can answer your situation like the Almighty. There's nobody can heal you like the Almighty. There's nobody can lift you up like the Almighty. There's nobody can preserve you like the Almighty. There's nobody can turn you around like the Almighty. There's nobody can keep you like the Almighty. There's nobody can preserve you like the Almighty. There's nobody in this world that can touch your life like the Almighty God. Come on, let's give him some praise tonight. I was pastoring as a young man in DeRitter, Louisiana in my 30s. And a beautiful young lady who taught school was in that church, came in one day to see me. And she told me a horrible tale of getting hooked on cocaine. She was raised in church, raised in Sunday school, raised in the kingdom of God. But she said there was something about cocaine that drew me away from the presence of God. She said the more I had, the more I wanted. She said the first hit was the greatest. And I had to get more and more and more to get back to that same feeling. And she said the more I had, the more I wanted. And said, Pastor, it was never enough. I was looking for something I had left behind. And I stopped her and I said, not something, Letty. Letty, you were looking for someone that you had left behind. Can I tell you, I don't care what you're on tonight. I don't care what's holding you hostage tonight. There is a God that can open the prison bars. There's a God that can set the captive free. There's a God that can turn your morning or your, or your morning into dancing. There's a God that can turn your night into day. There is a God that can turn you around. I'm talking to somebody. The only thing that's enough is God. God is my shepherd. I don't need a thing. Let me tell you that God is a satisfier of our longing. Say, he satisfies our longing. Everybody say, not things. God. Not possessions. God. Not goals realized. Not projects finished. Our offices attained. Only God. Only God. Everybody say, just God. God himself. And somehow, on this ninth day of January, 2019, I want to get it in the pit of your soul. I want it to nag on you and nag to you and wake you up in the middle of the night and say, the only thing that's going to bring you joy that's unspeakable is my presence. The only thing that's going to turn your life around is my presence. It's not relationships with other people. It's a relationship with me. I need to be the God of your life in 2019. Would you clap your hands and say, I love that. 
Augustine said, you have made our hearts for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Everybody say, God is a satisfier. Now say, God is sufficient. Say, he's enough. Nothing else satisfies like the Lord. Ecclesiastes in the Bible, Solomon once told himself, let's go for it. Let's experiment with pleasure. Let's have a good time. We'll party. And when it's over and it doesn't work, we'll just call it vanity. He tried a fun-filled life. It brought insanity. He tried accomplishments. It brought insecurity. He tried possessions. It brought inadequacy. Say it wise, Solomon. There is nothing. Shout it, king. There is nothing. Proclaim it, preacher. There is nothing. There is nothing better than God in your life. If you have God, you have everything. It's a simple message. It's a powerful truth. In fact, I say it this way. The man who has nothing but God has as much as the man who has everything with God. If you're here tonight broke, busted, and disgusted, and you can't get a job, and you don't have a place to live, if you have God, you have as much as the richest man in this church who has that same God. Because God loves us all the same. Come on now. God loves us all the same. If you're here without education, if you're here without a home, if you're here without parents, and you have God, you have as much as me with parents, and you have as much as my kids with parents, and you have as much as me with education because there is a God that loves us all the same. Come on. You're not an underprivileged child when you have God. You're not a forsaken child when you have God. Oh, the world will forsake you, but God will never forsake us. God. God is our portion. If you have God, you have everything. If you have not God, you have nothing. The third thing I want to tell you is that God alone satisfies. The world of sports goes on strike all the time. Major League Baseball goes on strike and makes some of you mad. I don't care. I don't like baseball. <laughs> the National Hockey League goes on strike sometime and makes some of you aggravated. Don't bother me. I don't follow the NHL. But these next two get to me. When the NFL goes on strike, I get upset. Because I don't get to watch my Cowboys. And when the NBA goes on strike, I'm mad because the Spurs aren't playing. But what if God went on strike? What if God went on strike? Let's talk about that. <laughs> How good is it that the God above has never gone on strike? Because he was not treated fairly in things he didn't like. If only once he had given up and said, that's it, I'm through. I've had enough of you on earth, so this is what I will do. It sounds like a poem. I'll give my orders to the sun, cut off the heat supply. And to the moon, give no more light to, and run the oceans dry. And just to make things really tough and put the pressure on, turn off the vital oxygen till every breath is gone. You know what? He would be justified if fairness were the game. For no one has ever been more abused or met with more disdain than God. And yet he carries on supplying you and me with all the favors of his grace and everything for free. Men say they want a better deal and so on strike they go. And what a deal we have given God to whom all, we, all, all things we owe. We don't care who we hurt to gain the things we lack. But what a mess we would be in if God should go on strike. 
I'm so glad the oxygen still flows. I'm still glad that the glory still reigns. I'm so glad that we have water to drink. I'm so glad we have houses to live in. I'm so glad. Aren't you glad? Listen, aren't you glad when Jesus died that the sun was darkened for just about three hours and it, then the sun shone again? Here's what I want to tell you. God didn't even let it be dark all day when the Son of God died on the cross. He said, I love you so much. I'm going to let it be dark just for a little while that I'm going to let the light shine again. You hear me. There's nobody takes care of you like our God does. There's nobody takes care of you like our God does. He is a Father that loves us. Come on, you need to clap your hands at that. He's a Dad that loves us. He cares for us. He watches over us. He takes care of us like nobody I know. God doesn't go on strike. He supplies all of our needs. He's a constant friend. He's a companion. I read an article several years ago by Varel Kidder. She's a contributing writer to Christian women's magazines. And one day she lost her best friend to leukemia and she was moping around the house and the Lord spoke to her and asked her, why won't you let me be your best friend? Since you've lost your best friend, why don't you take me as your best friend? And she purposed in her heart to allow that to happen because God spoke to her. And she learned four lessons in life that I want to share with you that I'm going to let you go home. The first lesson she learned was that her newfound friend would listen when no one else would. She couldn't wear him out. <laughs> he never said, I'm too busy. He never said, not you again. He never said, you talk too much. He never said that to her, she said. She said he always listened. He always listened to her and he heard her out. The second lesson she learned that he knew better than anyone. He knew her better than anyone and yet he still loved her. See, we're not always lovable. <laughs> Sometimes we're grouchy. Varel talked about one hot summer afternoon when the kids cried mommy one too many times. And she said, Lord, I can't stand it anymore. I can't stand these kids. Something wrong with me. And the Lord answered her saying, I know how you feel. Sometimes I get pretty weary with my children as well. Yet I never stop loving them. You feel like you're a little whiny sometimes? Some of y'all a little whiny? I like Dr. Phil. He said, you want a little cheese with that wine? I love that. Everybody say, God's a friend. He collects tears. He plans good things. He gives good favors. The third lesson she learned is that God acted powerfully on her behalf. Are these showing on the screen? Please take pictures of them. You need to put this on your refrigerator. When she took her problems to him, he did what no other friend ever did. He worked out the situation. Sometimes when we're in situations, our mind said he is enough. But our hearts wonder if it is so. That is our problem. Minds are convinced. Hearts are uncertain. Minds are concrete while hearts are marshmallows. Pockets of uncertainty fills us. Paul addressed this as he awaited his death in prison. In his last letter, he wrote awesomely. Don't ever forget this scripture. 2 Timothy 2, 13. If we believe not, he, he abideth faithful. For he cannot deny himself. I want you to get that in your heart. If we don't believe him, he abides faithful. For he cannot deny himself. There's a God that no matter what I do on this earth, he's going to be the same tomorrow as he was today. Why don't you let that God be your best friend in 2019? 
Why don't you let that God be all in all to you? Let him be enough. Come on. Say, Pastor, I'm getting it. He's going to be enough in my life. This God that you're preaching about is going to be enough. God is faithful when we're fickled. But when we have nothing left but God, we find out he is still enough. Everybody say, God, my shepherd. I don't need a thing. Lesson four of Varel's story touched my heart. It dawned on her that God craved a closeness with her. A closeness that she had substituted with earthly friends. Not only was there a longing with man, there's a longing with God. He desires to draw close to us. Lesson four, she said, God longs for a relationship with you. Now let me say, let me say this. God has an Achilles heel, and I'm closing. Randy, if you'll help me. He's vulnerable. He has a strong and tender desire to be close to each of his kids. He wants to be closer to us than we do to him. And that desire placed deity in harm's way. He wants a relationship with every one of us here tonight. Say, Pastor, say that again. He wants a relationship with everybody in this house tonight. God's first question in the word was, Adam, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Adam, God looks for you. God seeks for you. God longs for you. He desires for you. He loves you. He's got this Achilles heel. He loves people. He loves his creation. In the Victorian era of the British Empire, there was a princess named Alice who died very young. The story of her death is the stuff of legends. Her daughter was diagnosed with diphtheria and she grew weaker and weaker and doctors warned the princess to be careful not to get close to the girl. Death grew closer for the daughter and the princess could not stay away because that was her child. And once while the child was struggling to breathe, Princess Alice forgot herself and took her daughter in her arms and trying to get a breath, the girl said, Mama, kiss me, give me some air, kiss me, Mom." And when Princess Alice did, she contacted diphtheria. And not long later, she died as well. See, here's the deal. Real love forgets itself. Real love knows no danger. And real love does not count the cost. God is the only real love in this world. And because we have a relationship with him, we can know real love and how to give real love to others. God is real love. And it doesn't matter what disease you're having. It doesn't matter what disease you carry. It doesn't matter what bad stuff you got in you. God wants to get close to you. He wants to come close because he forgot himself. He ignored danger. He didn't count the cost. He went to the cross to die for people like you and me. There mercy and truth kissed and peace and righteousness embraced one another at the cross. So God, my shepherd, became my lamb. My provider became my provision, not for his sake, but mine. He stays the same, not me. I'm fickle. I get sidetracked. I get restless. But the shepherd became a lamb to heal me of my wanderings. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. I know that I have not preached long tonight. 
But I do know I have preached very direct here tonight. And I, uh, I want you to understand something. I want you to understand something. I am a father. I am a father. And I have been blessed to have four beautiful children. But I lost one of my children early in life. And on days in preparation for tonight's message, the loss of that son still grieves me greatly. I have three gorgeous daughters. One man at the door tonight. One man at the door tonight said, there comes that beautiful kid of yours. I said, yeah. Yeah, I was there. It wasn't my intention, but she, she's pretty. <laughs> didn't, didn't happen with me. But what a joy for people to recognize beauty in my family. And you know what? God loves when people walk in the church and say, I, I feel this beautiful congregation of people around me. And God just kind of, you know, said, yeah, that's my kids. That's my kids. And he's not like this daddy. He had a lot to do with it. He used the church, but he had a lot to do with it. In fact, he's the reason we are beautiful. He beautifies us with salvation. But can you imagine? Can you imagine if I feel the loss of my son 38 years later? If I still feel the loss of that boy 38 years later, if he was alive, he'd be 42 years old today. Would it, would it be all right to say that God feels the loss of fellowship and relationship with you? Would it be all right to say that? I'm not saying I'm God. I'm just a daddy. I'm just a father. But would it be all right to say that he may feel that toward people that have put other things in front of him and not given him the first of their life? Would it be all right? I think it'd be okay. And I think that some of us need to come on home. We need to make that trek. We need to say, you know what, Dad? I'm coming back. I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. I'm coming back. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to make you first in my life. 2019, I'm not going to be playing games with all the stuff of this world. I'm going to be playing the God game. You're going to be my leader. You're going to be my Lord. You're going to be my Heavenly Father. You're going to be all to me. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. A monk said he would be speaking on the love of God back in the medieval era. And shadows fell and the light disappeared from the cathedral windows and the congregation sat in gloom. And in the semi-darkness, the monk came in and lighted a candle and carried it to the crucifix. He illuminated the crown of thorns on the head of Jesus. He illuminated the two wounded hands. Finally, he moved the candle to the wounded side. Then he blew out the candle and patiently exited the church. There was nothing left to say. Crown of thorns, wounded hands, wounded side. That kind of tells you how much he loves you. My question tonight, is God going to be enough for you? Is God going to be enough? Are you going to need God and all this other stuff? Or can you just say, you know what? God, you're going to be plenty for me. You're going to be enough. 
Can somebody raise your hand and say that with me? Lord, you are enough. You are enough. You're enough. You're enough. John 15 said, Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. I ask a simple question tonight in closing. Is God enough? Is he enough? Or do you need all these other things? I think God's plenty. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet, raise your hands and bow your head and let me bless you in the name of the Lord here tonight. Dear Father, I love you tonight in, a, in an awesome way. I thank you tonight for Calvary. I thank you tonight for the old rugged cross. And, but most of all, Lord, I thank you because of your love. You loved us while we were yet sinners. We had nothing to give back. You just, you just loved us. God, what kind of God is that that you'd love us when we didn't even know who you were. What kind of God is that? I'm not trying to be evangelistic, Lord. I'm just trying to reach people with this gospel that God is the greatest thing you could ever choose to have in your life. He's the most. There's nothing like him. There's no one beside him. He is all in all. And if you would tonight with me, I want you to raise your hands and say, Pastor... I'm going to let God be my all in all, be my satisfier, be my portion, be my love, be my everything in 2019. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. Woo, hallelujah. 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 You that have never heard me teach on a Wednesday night, we'll laugh, we'll clap, we'll shout, we'll stand on our feet, we'll praise. But tonight, on this Wednesday night, I just wanted to tell you on the first really official Wednesday night, because the second was still a holiday, but tonight's an official Wednesday night. You need to make up your mind. God is enough. God's enough. God's enough. God's enough. Put away the other stuff and let God be all in all in your life. Everybody say Sunday morning. We're going to talk about dreamers Sunday. We're going to talk about dreamers. Won't be anything like this message, but it'll be about dreamers. We're going to talk about dreamers. Anybody ever dreamed? At night or day? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Don't eat too much pizza. It makes you dream at night. But when you're a daydreamer, when you can see it, you can have it because God will provide it. God will provide it. He's a great God. Amen. I love you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to turn to at least four or five people. We're not dismissed yet, so don't start walking out. Don't walk out on me. Turn four or five people and say, I'm glad to be in church with you. And if you're a first-timer, second-timer, third-timer, tell them that. Amen. Glad to be in church with you. Glad to be in the house of God with you tonight. Amen. Amen. This is so sweet. I love you, sweetheart. I love you, sweetheart. This is so sweet. Come on. Come on. Tell somebody you're glad to be with them in church tonight. Amen. Now listen to me. I'm going to dismiss you now. Just a second. Listen to me. 
Don't go out and fraternize all night. We got prayer at 6 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I love you. None like you in all of Israel. I wouldn't trade this church for any church in America. God bless you. Have a great night. Be blessed tonight. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow morning.